Well, good morning, guys. It's a little different today. I understand that, you know, with what's, what's going on. Unfortunately, uh, I have been exposed to COVID-19, and for the safety of everyone, I thought it's best that I remain from being in the building today. But we do thank you for being here. And I want to cover some announcements, if I can, uh, throughout this week. We are going to uh, just remind you about Sunday school classes that meet virtually. Uh, on Tuesday evenings, my class will meet at 6.30. Donna Felker's class uh, will meet on Thursdays at 6 o'clock. Uh, for an in indefinite amount of time, we're going to make all of our Sunday school classes virtual. We will not be having any Sunday school classes in the building until, you know, until further notice due to the fact of the increase in the numbers of cases of the coronavirus in our area. So we will just be anticipating having just worship only, but we'll be evaluating that week by week. And if for some reason we decide to go virtual back for worship, uh, you'll be called by your deacons and an e-letter will go out. So we're just going to be you know, covering this in trying to make decisions as we go by week by week. We want everyone safe and we want everyone to stay well. Uh, the Gathering Ladies meeting will also be this month virtual on Wednesday, June 20th at 6.30. Uh, you ladies will be getting an email invite uh, to get a part, be a part of that uh, Gathering Ladies meeting. And I want to encourage you that, um, you know, through this pandemic and over the next several weeks as we try to make decisions of what's best for all of us as a congregation, uh, please keep in mind your, your uh, tithes and offerings, whether we meet in face-to-face -face or we're meeting uh, virtually. Uh, please keep up with that, and, and each week I send out an email with the proper address that you can mail everything to. We've done so well through the pandemic, and we need to continue to do that, and I thank you in advance for you being diligent and uh, conscientious about that as we continue to strive and move forward in our ministries uh, the best we can. Well, guys, we want to officially welcome you this morning uh, to our worship service. Those who are uh, attending virtually, we thank you each week that you're a part of our worship. You're a vitally important part of our worship gathering, whether we're in another state or whether it's local. And uh, we just trust that, uh, that we will worship the Lord today in spirit and the truth and uh, give Him praise, give Him glory, recognize the fact that He is sufficient and He is powerful and he's ready to meet the needs of our life, which is really the theme of the message today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunities that you give us this day to be able to recognize you as God, to recognize you as King and Lord of our life. We praise you above all others, and we give you uh, the recognition that's due your name, recognizing the fact that we are your children and you are our shepherd. We ask that you continue to provide for the needs of our life as we worship you, we honor you, we live for you each and every day. And may our time together, uh, whether we're in this very building or whether we're at home, in the comfort of our homes, that we will just uh, cut off all the distractions in our minds and around us so that we can focus in worship through music, through all that we do this day, and to just to focus upon who you are and the goodness and all the provision and bounty and blessing that you give us. We want to say we love you, we thank you, we honor you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. 
Well, guys, good to know that, that we have a friend in Jesus indeed, and we celebrate that. Today, I want to bring a message to you that's entitled, Christ in the Time of Need. It's found in Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 10 through 17. And it's a familiar passage of Scripture. You can find it in all four Gospels. But I chose to look at the one in Luke chapter 9. I'm going to read that for you. And in verses 10 through 17, and as I begin reading, you'll, you'll realize what this passage is about. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus all that they had done. He took them along and withdrew privately to the town called Bethesda. When the crowds found him, they followed him. He welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and cured those who needed healing. Later in the day, the twelve approached and said to him, said to Jesus, Send the crowd away so that they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging because we are in a deserted place here. And Jesus says back to them, You give them something to eat. They responded back, We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. For about 5,000 men were there. Then he told his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did so, had them all sit down, and then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them. He kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And everyone ate and was filled. And then they picked up 12 baskets of leftover pieces. You know, this is a powerful passage of Scripture because you've got to put your mind to what they were experiencing. They were in a very uh, desert-looking spot. In other words, there were no eateries around. There were no uh, cisspools of water. There was just this desert land wide enough to house lots of people. Jesus was going to find a place to rest and the disciples were going along with them because they're following him every step of the way as he's training them for the ministry and mission uh, of, for, on the face of the earth. And all of a sudden, the crowd is continuing to build and continuing to follow Jesus and they find that they are no longer at 5,000. They're probably 5,000 plus their spouses, plus their children, Easily could be 25,000 people gathering now here to learn from Jesus. And it's a remarkable passage of Scripture because Jesus ministers in all facets of these individual lives, spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, uh, and, and captures their attention and their heart right where he needed them to be. So Jesus confronts every need to the human family. He understands the needs that we all have. Him being God in flesh, he recognizes all of the emotions and all of the needs that the human being has. And he addresses that human family and the human needs of every family. He did not avoid the needs that come to a family, but rather welcomed the opportunity to face them. And this includes the physical needs that so many families have and feel that comes about in their life. Jesus knows about hunger. He knows about poverty. He knows about a, a desolate place. 
He knows about the blues. He knows about anxiety. He knows about fear. He knows about uh, uh, the emotion uh, that overtakes you when you cry. He understands all those things. It was as Jesus faced these needs that the disciples began to learn in the midst of the facing of these needs that really who he was. Herod had raised a question about his identity many years ago. But instead of responding to the questions of Herod, Jesus continued his work of ministry and his ministry of love. The miracle of the loaves and the fish is an example of just that, a ministry of love. We need to learn this lesson. Whenever we find ourselves in a time of need, we need to go back to a passage of Scripture like this and say, if Jesus could take care of this vast amount of people and could do what he did, why can't he do that for my individual life? That's something that you and I must go back to to encourage ourselves and be reminded of the promise that's right there in Scripture. And yet we learn more and more about the identity of our Lord through examples that are recorded in Scripture. You know, it may not always be something new that we learn in Scripture, but it's something powerful and becomes a fresh insight when we see the identity and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in the midst of human life. This is the only miracle performed by our Lord that is found, that's found its way in all four gospel accounts. This indicates how deep of an impact what Jesus did for that group of people that day, how it affected the gospel writers. It came during a time when he was seeking rest for himself and the disciples were anticipating rest for themselves as well. It came at the climax of the ministry to that of Galilee. And from this point onward in his life, things began to turn toward the, the climax in Jerusalem, which would lead up to his crucifixion and his death and his resurrection. So what do we learn about Christ in the time of need that's in this text? Some, you know, sense that it is a, a time of, of gathering to soak in everything that Jesus has to say. But Jesus is more so not necessarily about the teaching here as he was about ministering to the human need. The teaching was awesome because it was on the kingdom of God, and that's important. But he also took a time, an opportunity to minister to the human need, and it becomes important. So there's some truth about Christ that I want us to look at. Actually, two of them that I want to look at in this passage that gives us some truth about Christ. First of all, is that Christ is concerned in the time of need. He's concerned at the time our need is happening. He's concerned for what's going on in our very life. The situation is well known. A rather large company followed Jesus into a remote area and region of the land. 5,000 plus, as we said a moment ago, women and children. They had large families. We could be even in excess of 25,000 people. Regardless, there is a large amount of people and there's only going to be a very small amount of food to feed them. Many of them had rarely eaten a full meal probably in their lifetime. Hunger was a way of their life. They may have only eaten one meal a day. 
There was no McDonald's. There was no Burger Kings. There were no Wendy's. There was no cookouts. There was no places for them to go. And yet they understood hunger. And so in that region, it was nowhere to purchase food. And even if they did have somewhere to purchase food, there was no place that could supply the amount of food to feed 25,000 plus people. The day had passed so quickly as they soaked up the teaching of Jesus, they listened and they watched the ministry of Jesus. And the people realized that they were in a good place in life, but yet at the same time, the disciples knew it was time for them to go home. And in Luke's count, it's the disciples who first become aware of a problem. And to them, it was a problem. For Jesus, it was an opportunity. They came to Jesus with a request and said, will you send this crowd away? Because time is swiftly passing by. And he reminded Jesus, we're in a remote place. There's no food to feed them. We need to dismiss them. It's getting late. It's getting dark. Let them go back to their homes, find their own food, and find their own lodging. The primary concern of the disciples was to get rid of the problem. Jesus' concern was to deal with the problem. So they knew that the people would, would have to leave unless something miraculous happens. And Jesus took the opportunity to demonstrate the miraculous. And his concern was completely different than the disciples. So we see his concern in the time of need was a concern about the whole person. Whereas the disciples was concerned about an aspect of their life, their spiritual. Jesus was concerned about their spiritual as well as their physical situation. So he's concerned about the whole person as he is concerned over each one of you and me. The incident illustrates the nature of the Lord's concern. Even though he had deliberately come to this remote region in search of some rest, when the crowd appeared uninvited, Jesus welcomed them, as the scripture says, and he received them with a warm reception. He immediately began to express concern about the needs that he saw. He began to speak to them of the kingdom of God. This expressed his concern, obviously, about their spiritual need, which was a very high priority. This expressed his concern that he loved them and he cared for them spiritually and wanted to meet those needs, even though they may not have known that they had a spiritual need. He began to heal the sick, the scripture says, which expressed his concern for their physical need. And yet, when he became obvious that they were in need of food, he expressed concern over their material needs. So the concern of Jesus includes the whole of mankind. The concern of Jesus was, was an unconditional concern. As we understand, his love is unconditional. This group of people did not evoke compassion from our Lord because they were morally or spiritually superior and they stood out among all other groups. No, their only qualification to be the object of his concern was that they had a need. Is, is this not the source of encouragement for you and me? Whether we deserve it or not, if there is a real need in our lives, Jesus is concerned over that need. And so we see him in the time of need concerned over the whole person. But then we see the concern not just a concern, it becomes an active concern. In other words, he's not just concerned about what he sees, he's now ready to meet the concern by taking action towards the needs they had. So many expressions of concern we hear are not accompanied by action. 
instead of expressing concern and sending the group away, Jesus began to take actions to meet the needs of the people. His first step was to make his disciples responsible. He says to his disciples, now you give them something to eat. And I'm sure that just just was mind-boggling because they had no food. Even if they had a little stash in their back pocket, it still wouldn't cover feeding this mass amount of people. So this brings us to a protest that the disciples says to Jesus, we have no food except for five loaves and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all these people, that's all we have. But then Jesus called on them to do what they could do. And as he did that, he would step up to do what only he could do. He asked them to get the people seated so that they could sit in groups of 50. And then by doing that, he would pass out food in each group. And it would bring to them whatever provisions they had, or they would bring to Jesus the provisions, whatever they had, so that Jesus could take those loaves and those fish and do something amazing. This is the characteristic of the Lord's concern. It's always active. He moves toward the need with action. It's not uncommon for you and I to feel that no one cares when we find ourselves in a time of need. It's not uncommon to find that human beings that we meet, whoever they are, they really do not care that much about our need. They may show us concern with concerning words at the time, but after we leave their presence, who knows if we're a distant memory to their mind or if they become a very prayerful uh, bunch of people praying for our needs. There's the temptation to project this kind of response onto the Lord himself, that we present our request to God and when he gets getting ready, He'll meet those needs. But this, you can know, Jesus is concerned about the need that's in your life and he's concerned about the need in my life. And he acts to meet those needs. Sometimes he acts to meet those needs and he's meeting them immediately and we don't see him, we don't see his response because we're so caught up still in ourselves. Then there are times that we're wowed because the need has been met very quickly. Other times we have to wait and grow and mature and learn some things in the process. But either way, there is action in the midst of the need. So we see that Christ is concerned in the time of need. He's concerned about the whole person and he's actively involved in meeting the need of that individual person. The second truth about Christ is that Christ is competent in the time of need. He's very competent in the time of need. The actions taken by Jesus in the time of need will always be competent to meet the very need that you and I have. This is the primary significance of this incident in the life of Jesus. It demonstrates that he not only cares, but he's able to actually meet the need. So this leads me to understand his power is sufficient. We hear scripture after scripture, and you go to the one in, in Philippians that, that he, ha, he has all the power sufficient to meet the very need of our life. As we cast our cares upon him, he cares for us, and he has sufficiency to meet whatever that care is. So his power is sufficient. This is a unique manifestation of the power on the part of our Lord. Even though none of the gospels really give us some of the details we'd like to have, 
they do give us insight into the greatness of his power. They brought to Jesus five loaves and two fish. From the Gospel of John, we know where they got those five loaves and two fish. It was from a boy who had a lunch in the midst of the crowd. So of all those people, could possibly 25,000 people, there was one little boy who packed a lunch. He was prepared, and he brought five little loaves of bread and two fish. You think, well, good gravy. This guy's bringing enough to feed his family. No, when you think about the size of the loaves of bread, it's about the size of a hamburger bun, but it's very flat. So you've got five little hamburger buns, very flat, and you've got two fish, which is probably the size of a brim, and a brim fish fits into the palm of your hand, sometimes smaller. So you're not looking at a lot of meat, and you're not looking at a lot of bread. And this is what is presented to Jesus to feed this enormous crowd. Jesus held them in his hands, and he blessed his father. Actually, Jesus expressed gratitude for, to his father, just like a father would in his own family sitting at a, at a meal with his family. Then he began to break the loaves, and he, and he began to take the fish, and, and, and he distributed it to all of the crowd. And the crowd was beginning to all be fed. The disciples took the bread and the fish from his hand and distributed it to the crowd. This was a demonstration of his creative power. This was the work of a creator. This was not the work of restoring something to wholeness. It was not the work of bringing someone back from the rim of the dead. This was the work of creation itself. It was a revelation to the disciples that one greater than Moses was in their midst. They would be reminded how God would use Moses to bring manna to the people in the wilderness, but there was never an indication that Moses created the manna. The manna fell from heaven. It, he just announced its arrival and explains its source, but the indication here is that the bread and the fish that fed the crowd actually came from the hands of Jesus. It was in the midst of that crowd, he was creating the food right there before them. Why are we so slow to believe that Jesus Christ is competent to meet our needs? He is not, you know, he, is he not still the creator, the God that we've come to understand that is revealed in this incident? Is he, is he not the creator God? If he is in this passage, he is in your life today. So we see his power is sufficient. He can do amazing things as it's been recorded by all four gospel writers. Second of understanding this competency in the time of need is that his provisions are sufficient. What his power provided was more than enough. Luke indicates that all the men ate, all the people ate until they were satisfied. The scripture says they were filled, which was really uncommon because they didn't eat till they were filled. They only ate to, to that which met their needs. So to eat to their field was an amazing experience. And when you consider the size of the crowds, this is the, the most impressive demonstration of power in the face of the multitude of people that they've ever seen in their life. Indeed, to have so much provided for them, 
just to take these five loaves of bread and two fish to feed 10 people would be amazing. Nonetheless, thousands upon thousands upon thousands, the demonstration that his provision is sufficient for every need that is before him. So each of the Gospels indicate that there were 12 baskets of bread and fish left over. So every disciple got to take with them along their journey their own food filled in a basket of bread and fish. So each of these 12 apostles left the scene with food themselves. So not only did everyone get fed, there was still some left over. Yet I hope we will be better to follow our Lord than this crowd. While they were ready to receive all of the physical provisions of the Lord on that day of abundance, when he offered them spiritual provision on the next day, as recorded in Scripture, they quickly turned away from him. The next day, according to the Gospel of John, Jesus said, knowing that he had just taught this, this beautiful lesson, he says in John's Gospel, right after this account that's recorded in John, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. This was a bold affirmation that his provisions are sufficient to meet every need of a person's life. So we see the power is sufficient. We see his provisions are sufficient. But we also see that his personhood, him as a person, is sufficient. This was the part that the crowd was not ready to receive. What Jesus can do is not merely uh, nearly as important as who he is. We need him more than we need what he can do. And yet the crowd needed him to do more than who he was. So what he can do will meet the temporal need of our life, but who he is will meet the eternal need of our life. And we know they didn't get it. They understood the physical need in the present moment because the next day they didn't understand that he was the bread of life and that he was, he was the living water that quenched their thirst. This is not to discount the sufficiency of the power and the provisions that he had. He's able to meet all those needs, and he's glad to meet them. But to have him as who he is is the most important thing in a person's life. Now, it's nice when we look at our own life and all the provisions that we have, whether it's financial physical, mental, emotional, uh, the clothing, the house, the jobs, we see all those. It's nice to know that those have been provided for us. But if that's all it is in life, then we've missed the whole of what God is in our life. It's about the personhood of who he is. You will discover in your time of need that he is competent to meet your need and he's willing to commune with you in the midst of that need. He wants you to worship him. He wants you to recognize that he is the sufficient God, that he is the powerful God, that he is the God compassionate, he is a God of ministry of love, but he's also a God who's interpersonal in each person's life. The conclusion of this message is based on this one question. What is the need in your life today? Don't be scared to tell God what your need is. If you're having trouble in your marriage, 
If you're having trouble financially, if you're having trouble with your children, your grandchildren, your spouse, you're having trouble with just dealing with looking in the mirror and seeing your own face every day. Whatever the need is in your life, don't be scared to tell him. But don't be surprised if he shows up as to who he is in the midst of that need before that need is actually met. He wants you to see the creator God he is. He wants you to believe that he can take whatever you give him and do something miraculous with it because his power is sufficient. He's very competent to meet our need. We know he's already concerned. He's concerned over the whole person. He's so concerned, he's already actively involved in meeting the need, but he wants us to see him as a sufficiency of who he is. I choose to look on every need as an opportunity for him to reveal himself in some fresh way. It's my responsibility to put what resources I have at his disposal and then to watch God demonstrate that he cares and that he's competent to meet every need of my life. Blessed be the name of the Lord God. It is worth experiencing the need just to know him better in the midst of that need. That's what happened to the disciples. That was the lesson that was being learned, even though they were taught about the kingdom of God and then they were fed. The the whole lesson was about the experience of Jesus in the midst of their common need. So are you seeing Jesus for who he is? Are you worshiping him for who he is? Are you relishing in the fact of who he is? God is ready, able, capable, and willing to reveal himself as the creator God to your personal life, to demonstrate that he loves you, he is your father, he is your friend, and he is actively present in your life. Thanks be unto God for understanding who we are and understanding the needs of our life and understanding that we have a long way to go in experiencing him every day. Thanks be unto God for that experience. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you you grabbed the attention of our heart through these scriptures. Such a wonderful, warm uh, passage of scripture that does remind us of your, your power indeed, but it also reminds us of the needs in our life of just taking the time to see you as God, to see you and to worship you as who you are, to not be a person that begs for our needs to be met, but a person who's willing to worship you and relish in who you are. But yet at the same time, because we belong to you and we're a part of your kingdom, that we have the promise of abundant life and the promise of eternal life, that you care about every aspect of our life and ready to meet those needs so that we become people in the ministry of love that you began on the face of this earth. To carry forth your name, and to carry forth that gospel message to everyone around us. Thank you, Father, for ministering to each of us this day, reminding us of the goodness of who you are and the powerfulness of who you are. We give you thanks, we give you glory, and we give you honor. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.